right, well, my name is Daniel Norris. I am one of the pastors, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning as we pick back up in our series that we've been in in the book of Ephesians called In Him We Are, where we're discovering who we are in Christ, who we are, who our identity, what, who we are and what our identity is now in Christ. So how many of you were here last week at Mother's Day? Hey, did they not do a fantastic job? Let's give them a round of applause. I told, I told McKenna, Pastor Todd's daughter, I said, girl, you killed it. In fact, you can preach for me next week if you want. And she's like, no, I'm good, I'm good. So maybe she'll take me up on it here in the future. So, but man, um, what a blessing that was to hear from Pastor Todd and Adrian and McKenna, and McKenna Connitz. It was such a, a blessing. And so uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever eavesdropped on someone? Uh, y'all, everybody's like, confession time, right? Have you ever eavesdropped on someone? You know what that is, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm listening. Maybe eavesdropped on someone by accident. How many of you ever have, like, just overheard something? Maybe that you weren't supposed to hear or maybe just something like you, you were eavesdropping or you overheard someone and you heard them mentioning your name and maybe they were just, like, talking about how incredible you are and what a gift you are and you just walked out of that room just kind of floating on cloud nine, Right? So I can, I, the reason I say that is I can remember a time when I was a little boy, um, I would be at my grandfather's house and I would hear him, it'd just be me and him, and I could hear him in the back room talking. And so I would go, I would say, sir? And, and he'd say, oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'd go, okay. I'd go back to the, the kitchen or the living room and, he, and I'd say, I'd hear it again. And I'd say, sir? And he'd say, I'm not talking to you, I'm not talking to you. And I'd be like, well, who is he talking to? And so then I would do this, and I would eavesdrop a little bit, and I would put my ear up to the door, and here's what I would hear. I would hear my grandfather praying, and I would listen. And when you hear him praying and asking the creator of the universe to do something in your life, man, it's sacred. It's significant. My grandfather passed away when I was a senior in high school. I didn't become a Christian until I was 23. So he never saw me come to faith. He never saw my salvation, at least not from an earthly point of view. He didn't. And so I'd like to think that I'm here today and and saved by the grace of God because of the prayers of a faithful grandfather and the prayers of parents and, and many other people as well. So there's something powerful and something sacred about eavesdropping and listening in when someone's interceding and praying on your behalf. And so that's what I want us to do this morning to jump back into this series. I want us to eavesdrop and lean in, if you will, and listen to a prayer, but not just any prayer. I want us to listen to a prayer that Jesus himself prays to God the Father in John 17, the, the cross is pending, like the cross is coming. Jesus knows it's coming. He knows that it was for this purpose that he came. And before he goes, he begins to pray. And he prays to the Father the most powerful prayer that has probably ever been prayed. He prays for the disciples. He prays for himself. He prays for the disciples. And then, check this out, in verse 20, he prays for you and me. And this is what he says. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. If you're in this room today and you have been saved by the grace of God and the spirit of God lives and dwells in you, then here's what I know. Just like I believe I'm an answer to my grandfather's prayers, the reality is that all of us are an answer to Jesus' prayer, amen? And that's what we're gonna see this morning as we jump into that second part of Ephesians chapter two. Paul is gonna show us this in the second half of Ephesians chapter two that God's purpose and plan from the very beginning was to reconcile Jews and Gentiles to himself and to, and to one another, creating, the, creating this beautifully diverse, unified family called the church. If you've got your Bibles and you're not already there, go ahead and open them up to Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 11. If you're there, say the Bible is true. Awesome, we got some ground to cover because we're gonna read 11 verses, so stay with me. Here we go. Starting in verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes this to his church friends in Ephesus. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, one, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those of you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. Holy Spirit, apart from you, we cannot understand it. We need your help. We need you to help us understand it. We need you to help us see it, and we need you to help us obey it. God, would you have your way in this place? Would you remove the scales from our eyes? 
Would you remove the calluses and hardened hearts from our chest? Would you help us to fall more in love with you today because of who you are and what you've done? And all of God's people said, amen. amen. That's, a lot of, that's a lot of verses, is it not? About lost my place three times in the eight o'clock hour. My eyes weren't focusing correctly and I was going, man, am I done yet? Let's jump into it. The first thing that Paul wants us to do is to remember. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Right out of the gate, in, in verse 11, Paul says, therefore. Now, anytime, if you've been around church for very long, you've heard me or Pastor Todd or any of our other pastors, anytime you're reading scripture and you see the word therefore, you've got to ask the question, what? Say it loud. What's that therefore? That therefore is there for everything else that Paul has already said in Ephesians. Everything he said in chapter one and everything he said in the first 10 verses, Paul comes to this transition in his letter and he says, therefore, therefore, remember. Here's what Paul wants us to see. The very first thing is this. Remember that we were out, but now we're in. We were out, but now we're in. Listen to what he says. He says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, by the way, unless you are Jewish in this room, guess what? You're a Gentile. So just go ahead and receive this. He's talking to you. There were, in the first century, there were Jews, and then there were everybody else, the Gentiles, the barbarians, the heathens, the pagans. There you go, right? Make you feel right at home. And Paul says, therefore, Remember that at one time, you Gentiles were separated from Christ, right? He says, listen, the you Gentiles were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. You see, Jews would refer to Gentiles as the uncircumcised ones. How's that for a nickname? Not one, not one you want to have, right? The Jews would call all of the Gentiles, all of the heathens, all the pagans, the uncircumcised, and we are the circumcised. It was a, a, a physical symbol that we belong to the covenant promise of God. In other words, it was a, for the Gentiles, it was a derogatory, belittling word that was basically saying this, you're on the outside, we're on the inside. We're elevating ourselves, we're better than you are. How you like that? That's what Paul says. He says, hey, remember, before Christ, this is who you were. This is where you were. You were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. He goes on to say this. He says, remember. He says it again. Do you think Paul wants us to remember something? If any time you see a word repeated, guess what? It's kind of like you parents. If you say something twice, do you mean it? Are you serious? Like I tell my boys, I better not say it again, right? This is Paul saying, remember, remember. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God. Now, why in the world, why in the world would Paul want us to remember that? I think Paul knows something. I think Paul knows that his friends in Ephesus and his friends sitting in this room today, 
and all mankind for that fact that we all struggle with what I call short-term memory loss. Can I get an amen in the room? Like how many of you have a hard time remembering what you had for lunch yesterday, right? I'm grateful that God has given me a wife that will write lots of little reminders and to-do lists and stick them on you know, everywhere all over the house so that I remember. This is Paul saying, remember. Paul doesn't want the church in Ephesus or us to ever forget where we were when the grace of God found us. Where we were when the mercy and grace of God rescued us from our sins. That's why Paul says, therefore, remember, remember that before Christ, he says, you were separated, alienated, you were strangers, you had no hope, and you were without God. Something powerful about remembering that. Paul's saying, don't forget your salvation. Don't forget what Ephesians 2, 8 says, for, for it is by the grace of God through faith that you've been saved, and this is not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you didn't have anything to do with saving yourself. Don't ever forget, don't ever start walking down the road and let that become a distant memory where you think that you actually had to do something to do with your salvation. He's saying, remember where you were when you were in the bottom of that pit and you could not get out. Remember what your life was like. You were separated, you were alienated, you were far from God, you were without hope. And I don't wanna move too quickly past this this morning. Let me have you do this. I just want you to close your eyes right now. Remove all the distractions. Even those of you that are watching online, close your eyes unless you're driving which then you probably shouldn't be watching anyway, right? Just close your eyes and, and remove the distractions. I want you to remember. Do you see it? Do you remember how broken and how lost, how far from God you felt? Do you remember how hopeless you felt? For those of you that have been saved at an early age and walking with the Lord a long time, here's what I would ask you. Where would your life be today if it were not for the grace of God? There's some of you in this room right now, you can't remember because that's not your past, that's your present reality. You're here today and you feel far from God. You feel alienated, you feel like a stranger. You feel like there's no hope. And here's what I want you to know this morning. There's hope. You don't have to remain separated. You don't have to remain far from God. 
no matter who you are or what you've done, there's no one that the grace of God can't reach and rescue. Amen? I want you to know there's hope. And there's hope because of the next two words that Paul says. If you're following along, here's what he says in verse 13. He says, but now, everybody say, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, listen to this. This is why there's hope. Because you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Is that not good news? That you were dead in your sins. You were as far as you could possibly get. And Jesus made the first move. He came all the way to earth to reach and to rescue you. That's what Paul wants you to know this morning. Is that there's no one beyond the reach of Christ. There's no one that his mercy and grace can't save. He says, but now you who were far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul's reminding the believers in Ephesus and us here today that in the past, listen, you were out, you were far off, but now because of Christ and what he did on the cross, your condition and your status has been completely reversed forever. You were far off, he says, but now you've been brought near you had no hope, but now you have peace. You were excluded, but now, guess what? You're included. We were out, but now we're in. How many of you are thankful for that today? That when you couldn't break in, when you couldn't get through, Jesus did the breaking through for you. He came to you and he brought you in by his own blood. Second thing Paul wants us to see in these verses is this. He says, remember it one time. Listen, we were divided, but now we are united. Look what he says in verse 14 through 18. He says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, before Jesus stepped in and rescued us, we were divided. We were separated from God and from one another. But now, he says, but now because of the cross of Christ, we don't have to remain divided. We can be united as one. This was God's plan and God's purpose from the beginning. Listen, Jesus on the cross removed the greatest barrier he removed the barrier of sin that separated us from God. And then he also, it says, he broke down the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between us and one another, so that he might create one new man in the place of the two. What is this wall of hostility that Paul is talking about in these verses? Listen, it's the, it's the wall of religion the wall of pride and self-righteousness and yes, even extreme racism. You see, this hostility that Paul is describing isn't just some 
high school rivalry where like it's football season and my team's playing your team and so I don't really like you this week. It's not Gilmer versus Spring Hill and we just are kind of hostile this week because it's a big game week for us. It's not because I'm an Aggie and you're a Longhorn or you're a Longhorn and whatever school you choose. This is not the hostility that Paul is talking about when he says that he has destroyed the wall of hostility that was between us. This is thousands of years of generational hatred and extreme racism. Let me just give you a couple of examples, some things I learned this week. When Paul is referencing this wall of hostility, it's what I said a few minutes ago, the Jews believed that we're in and all of you Gentiles are out. We have nothing to do with you. We're better than you. You're less than us. In fact, Jews believed that Gentiles were only created to fuel the fires of hell. How do you like that saying? The only reason that God would ever allow a Gentile to be born is to make hell's fire hotter. So that's the, that's the Jew's way of saying everyone who's not a Jew deserves to burn. Sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? It was against Jewish law for anyone to render aid to a Gentile pregnant woman in distress if she's in labor. So if I'm walking down the road in first century Jewish culture and I'm a Jew and there's a Gentile woman in labor, in distress, I am forbidden to render aid to her and help her because all I'm doing is helping another Gentile come into the world. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, it was said that the day of their wedding, their family would hold a funeral service to basically say, you're dead to us. You've betrayed us. You've married a pagan Gentile, and so you're dead. We'll never speak again. Not to mention that there was a literal wall around the Jewish temple to keep Gentiles out. And so let me just try to draw a picture for you. Just imagine with me, if you will, in this room, if this was a first century Jewish temple, that this stage, yes, there would have been stairs there as well because the stairs would lead up to the holy people, the priest, right? And only the priest could come up here and there would be barriers and walls down there to keep the, the regular everyday folks from coming up. And then behind that wall would be the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt, and then there would be a curtain in that room that divided that up as well. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about this area here. If this were the Jewish temple, only the men in this room, if you were all Jews, would be allowed in this room. Sorry, ladies. Don't get mad at me. I didn't, I didn't make up the rules. So only Jewish men would be allowed in this room to worship. And all of the women, Jewish women, would stay out in the lobby and there would be a, a, a barrier there to keep the women and the men separated. Now, on the outside of the building, 
there would be another dividing, an actual four and a half foot dividing wall all the way around the temple. And on that wall would be signs that read this, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Welcome to church. Sounds like an inviting place, does it not? But these were the walls and the barriers of hostility that had been built up for thousands of years. So here's what those walls were saying to the, to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. You can't come close. You can't come to the presence of God. You can't worship here. This is where God dwells and this is where his presence is, but you're not allowed. You have to stay far away. We're in, you're out. So when Paul says that Jesus has broken down this dividing wall of hostility and brought peace where there was hatred and killed the hostility, he's saying, listen, the gospel is the power to unite any and everything that sin tries to divide. Did you hear that? The gospel is the thing that is powerful enough to unite every single thing that sin divides. It says that he removed the wall of hostility and then he killed it. He put it to death on the cross. Now let's not be fooled. This isn't just a first century Jewish problem. Don't think for a second that we still don't build walls. Don't think for a second, even in good old East Texas here at New Beginnings, that there's not walls of hostility and animosity. Sure, our walls may look a little different. They may be a little more clean and polished and sophisticated. They may not have a sign that says, if you come close, I'm going to kill you. But we've probably thought it. Let me tell you about some walls that we build up in our lives and in the church. Walls of religion. I'm this denomination. I'm that denomination. I go to this church. You go to that church. Division. Politics. I'm this. I vote this way. I believe this. You're over here. I don't want anything to do with you. If you don't agree with me, I'm not going to have anything to do. Walls go up. Race. Even in 2023, it is still alive. It is still real. It is still active. And Jesus died to destroy it, and we still allow it to divide and create hostility. Wealth, socioeconomic status. I make this much. I only run with these people. I have nothing to do with these people. They're not in my circle. They're not in. They're out.
pride, power, position, popularity. They don't look like me, act like me, talk like me, speak like me. Walls. I know some of you are sitting here that went, man, he's, he, he's being harsh, right? He's stepping on some toes today. <laughs> All right, you heard it. I'm going to. Um, man, I, I have been in churches. This is my third church to serve in in the last almost 20 years. And at every church I've been at, whether it was Central Florida or West Texas or East Texas, as incredible as every place was, there were still walls of hostility. There was still disunity. There was still anger and jealousy and hatred. There were still people that would get so bent out of shape that they would leave the church because of something as silly as the color of paint on the walls. Or something that someone changed the carpet and I don't like that carpet or that glue smells too strong. I'm leaving this place. And they would try to rally the troops around them and get everybody to go with them. Let me tell you something, church. Jesus Christ on the cross died to destroy the barriers and the disunity and the walls that divide us. We have to be united. We have to be united as one. All of those things I just mentioned, all of those things create dividing walls of hostility. Walls that Jesus died to destroy. It says that he did this, listen, he did this in order that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This was his purpose and his plan all along, that from the very beginning, his purpose was to create one new humanity, the church out of the two, and to reconcile us both to God through the cross. You see, when Paul writes these words, Paul knew a thing or two about hostility and hatred and anger and division. He was a Jew of Jews. He was devout. He probably looked down his nose all of his life at Gentiles this way. And then when he heard that there was this new thing coming along, Christianity, he was willing to do everything in his, in his power to destroy it as well. But God, but God had another plan By the grace of God, Paul was saved and changed and transformed and the walls of division and hostility came down in his life. See, Jesus came and died for his church to build his church, to build a unified dwelling place for God. In fact, the very word church in the Greek is not church, what you and I use. It is the word ekklesia. And let me tell you something. Here's what ekklesia is not. 
Ecclesia is not a building. Ecclesia is not a location. Ecclesia is not a denomination or a form of worship. Here's what ecclesia is. Ecclesia, it means this. It means a people called out together. It is a movement of people. People who were dead in their sins, dead in their trespasses, separated from God without hope. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, saved us while we were sinners. That by grace, through faith, he has saved us. This is nothing that we did. It is all what he did. And so that he could form one new man, the church, also known as his bride. He was willing to leave heaven and come to earth and die for it, to create it. And here's what that means for us. Here's the good news. We're no longer foreigners. We're family. Check out what Paul says in verse 19. So then, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In Christ, we go from foreigners to family, from strangers to citizens, from divided to members of the same house. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? And the only way, listen, the only way this happens is through the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. So don't miss this. You can come to a building and a location or denomination and you can sit in a chair every single week, every single month for years and you can be involved with all of the events and the activities. You can, you can wear yourself out. But if the Holy Spirit does not live and dwell inside of you, guess what? You are still far off. You are still an alien. You are still a stranger. You are still without hope and without God. The only thing that saves us and unifies us is the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you this this morning. Where are you? Do you feel far from God? Do those words still apply to you? Separated, alienated, no hope without God? Listen to me, if, it, if that's you, it doesn't have to stay that way. Today can be the day that you're made new. Today can be the day that you go from being far off to being brought near. Today can be the day that you go from being excluded to included. Today can be the day that you go from being a foreigner to a family member. All you've got to do is cry out to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I've been trying to do this thing on my own. I've been running from you, and I don't want to run anymore. 
I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. I need you to be the Lord of my life. That's, it's as simple as that. And it says that in that moment, you will be brought from death to life. In that moment, you will move from being a foreigner to a family member, that he will bring you near. He will bring you into his family. And so here in a few moments when we respond, we're gonna have some prayer partners up here at the front. We're gonna have some in the aisles close to you. Here's what I want you to do. If when I described that, you, you were able to do this, yep, check, 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 separated, alienated, far from God, without hope, then today needs to be the day of your salvation. Today needs to be the day that you finally just say, God, I need you to save me. And here's what I want you to do if that's you. When we all stand and we sing and we respond and people are coming down here to pray, I just want you to find somebody close to you and say, hey, today is the day I became a family member. I surrendered. I gave my life to Christ today. We want to celebrate with you. We want to welcome you into the family of God. For the rest of us, let me ask you this question because I think we have some work to do as well. Where are the dividing walls in your life? Man, I, I had to wrestle with this all week. I had to do some digging, and some searching. I had to get real raw and honest before God and say, God, I am, man, I am a great sinner, but you're a great savior. And I, I'm so sorry for the walls that I put up. I'm so sorry for the things that I think about people sometimes. I'm so sorry for the walls that I try to build in my own little world with all of my pride and my ego. I'm so sorry for the times that I think that I'm better than someone else. So let me ask you this. Are you silently judgmental towards those that with less than you? Is racism an, is racism an issue in the hidden places of your heart? Are you dismissive and insulting towards someone with different political views? I'm gonna be honest with you this morning. There are people that have left this church because they had a different political view. How sad that they wanna create disunity and division and walk away from the family of God and what God's doing because someone doesn't agree with their political stance or political view. You're entitled to your views and your opinions, but there is nothing, there is nothing greater or more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is alone is the one thing that breaks down every walls and that unifies us together as one. We should be able to get over our differences and be unified because the blood of Christ has brought us near. It cost him everything to save you from your sin. How dare we let little petty things get in the way of that? I think the Holy Spirit wants to deal with us today. He's dealt with me all week and he's gonna, I'm sure he'll deal with me some more in a minute. But listen, as the church, as the very thing that Jesus Christ died to unify, 
we've got to get down on our knees. We've got to get in a posture and we've got to confess and we've got to repent. And we've got to say, God, I'm so sorry for making mountains out of little bitty things. I'm so sorry for thinking things towards other people. I'm so sorry for allowing disunity to creep up in my life and to to think a certain way or to act a certain way or to treat people like they're less than me. We've got to get on our knees and on our face before God in a posture of repentance and say, God, forgive us. Because here's what I know, church. The Lord will not move and bless and pour out his spirit on an unrepentant church. He just won't. As long as there is sin in the house, he will not pour out his spirit. He will not pour out his presence and do the things that he wants to do in our lives. He will not use us the ways that he wants to use us. We've got to get real and we've got to get honest and we've got to ask for forgiveness and we've got to repent and turn from those things. Turn from the anger and the hatred and the jealousy and all of the garbage that wants to divide us. Listen, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, the gates of hell will not stop my church. But here's what I know. The enemy can't stop the church, so here's what he tries to do. He tries to slow it down. He tries to slow it down by building up walls of disunity, and we've got to tear them down. So let's stand and let's respond during this time. Would you pray with me? Father, if there's anyone in this room that feels far from you, separated, alienated, without hope, would you rescue them today? Father, for the rest of us, would you break our hearts? Would you help us to get on our knees and on our face before you and repent for building up walls of hostility and walls of disunity when your son came to die and destroy every wall and every barrier that separated us from you and us from one another. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Have your way. We'll give you all the glory and all the praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.